Revenge of the 80s Kids has been rated P for podcast. Gentlemen, we have a problem. Television. Television. You know, once upon a time, it was my dearest friend. I thought nothing would part us. But just look, just just look what's on these days. Ugh. Television today is just... Ugh. The secret, of course, is in the calamari gravy. Ugh. Yes, this is football. Ooh. We have football. Welcome to football. I'm sorry, I just can't even talk about it. It's so depressing. With only 12 days remaining to turn this abattoir into a childcare centre. It's nothing to watch. I don't even watch television anymore. The film star on my interview programme? I get the occasional box set, but that's about it. I had to become a vampire before I could find love. I mean, in the year of Netflix and what have you, television itself seems somewhat redundant. Sir, this is the favourite character on this TV show. Kill him! Uh, <laughs> Ratings. Uh, not like it was in the 90s, however. That was a bastion of quality entertainment in contrast to how it was at the cinema. I, I think we can all safely say that a discussion involving the TV programs of the early 90s involving science fiction and fantasy is going to be excellent. And I eagerly um, look forward to our discussions. Ian, Ian uh, I, I think two things. One, you are aware that we are in what many people to be regarded as a golden age of television drama at the moment. And two, I mean, the, the television of the 1990s kind of comes in two flavours, and those flavours centre around a crux season in 1997 when it seemed like many producers suddenly started to get a clue. Um, but before that time, we didn't really have much, and, and across the two shows that we're going to do uh, regarding uh, television of the 1990s, the UK was a particularly paltry arena. I mean, I'm surprised that you even thought this. There was how much Doctor Who was there in the 1990s compared with the decades either side? Well, there was one thing with Paul McGann. Yeah, and that's it. That's the whole of the 1990s. And what were the BBC spending their science fiction budget on? I oh 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 bugs bugs. Justin, uh, did you ever see Bugs? Uh, I saw a couple of them. It was it was not enough really science fiction for me to get excited. To be no, honest, no, no, science fiction was a bit of a wasteland on the UK TV. Um, I mean, I think as has been pointed out, one of the things about it is that the, the UK didn't really have the money to spend on making science fiction television, uh, so they didn't really. 
Um, although when you look at some of the stuff that was coming out of the US, I mean, it didn't really require buckets of cash for everything. And yet it seemed that just in the UK, nobody was interested in making, you know, even supernatural dramas or stuff like this. Um, the, 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 the nearest we got as an original property um, was The Crystal Maze, I think, which yeah. is a quiz show. It's not really a quiz show, it's a puzzle show, really. Puzzle show, but it was it was a game show. Game yes. show works. Well, I, agree yeah. with, I agree with that, as there was a prize and people can, can compete for it. I mean, that, that, I, mean I, I use the Crystal Maze as an example, but we had many of these things. I remember there was one called The Interceptor, in which a man in a helicopter flew around and shot people with infrared beams and stuff. I, I remember that. Yeah, they yes. had kind of adventure adventure playground no, no, game shows. The, the, the concept of it was that the contestants had a box full of money on the back, or maybe they didn't. There was two contestants, and the Interceptor would go after both of them. And it was obviously collusion, Dick, so the Interceptor in his helicopter could catch up with whoever the contestants are running off to. But the thing about that was, that was all to do with... Um, I think that was kind of a follow-on from things in the 80s, like the adventure game and Nightmare. Absolutely. I always thought it was, a, it, was a, it was a spiritual sequel to... What was Annika Rice doing? She Treasure had, Hunt. Yeah, Treasure. Yeah. I mean, they started to do, basically, they started to introduce generic flavour into otherwise mundane... Because Treasure Hunt wasn't at all science fiction-y. Whereas the idea of having a man in a, a helicopter chasing you around and futuristic beams it was because and i think there was actually a reason the reason why they started to overspill into those areas was because they didn't really do it on television anywhere else they didn't do dramas they were doing you know our, our appetite for genre entertainment was was, was uh, I mean, being fulfilled. The, the, the big beast of the 90s as far as science fiction was concerned was red dwarf and that was a comedy series yes yes a sitcom yeah um which I mean, but, well, but that 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 plays that a little disservice, really, because it actually had a lot of proper science fiction ideas. Mm. Well, that's what I was going to say. I mean, what's weird is that some of the stuff in Red Dwarf, which is proper science fiction ideas, hasn't even been done. I mean, apart from the fact that Star Trek kept nicking uh, Red Dwarf plots for its yeah. stuff. But really, uh, Red, some of the stuff on Red Dwarf has still never been tackled by any other more serious genre show to this day. So, it, you know, that was proper. But just yeah. to show how little money there was floating around for doing this kind of thing, we only have to look to the later part of the uh, 90s where Neverwhere was a, a six-part series. So three hours-ish in total, made by Neil Gaiman, uh, Lenny Henry. And it was great. I mean, you know, good script, good ideas. Tried to be years. up there, but then, unfortunately, no money. No, and I think that kind of showed with the cast as well, because some of the acting wasn't great. And it felt to me, parts of it, quite amateur, right? But I think that's because they were just, you know, they didn't really, there weren't really any big names, were there, associated with it, as far as I know. Um, Peter Capaldi was in it, how dare you! <laughs> yes, well, there are some exceptions, okay? There are some exceptions, but I think by and large, and also, it was a large I mean, Kroop Kru- Kru- and Vandermar, I think, were the, were the breakout characters in that series. Yes. They, 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 they genuinely were the, they gave were nightmares. The, the most heavyweight actors as well. Yes. So. But it was it was a kind of a strange thing that I I, I remember fondly of it, but it, it was, even at the time, it looked cheap. I remember going, you know, this I kind have... of... It's a great idea, but it just felt to me like 
I say he just felt slightly amateurish. There was something about it that I didn't the, the quite. Reason, the reason it is is because it's video. It is it is unabashed. Yeah. But they they it's shot it video. like it was like it was supposed to be film. And they were going to treat right. it digitally afterwards to make it look like it was shot on film, but then they didn't bother, and so you know, so then it, it looks cheap because video is associated with cheapness, and yeah. some some of the effects weren't brilliant, you know, fighting the beast, which is clearly a cow with a rug thrown on it, shot <laughs> as 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 sympathetically as you can, and also the the under the under city of London, it's it is just all grime and darkness. There's there's no kind of. Uh, Quirkiness about it all, as a sort of hidden kingdom, as as, as well. Uh, so that kind of puts it, makes it an extra dour, too. But the the idea was very clever. I thought the idea was very clever. There were lots of good ideas, and it just yeah, I remember it being incredibly inventive. And it was probably actually it reminded me very much like it to me. It was kind of like a a bunch of guys who were into gaming and role-playing got together and put on something because it just had this kind of otherworldly feel that was, yeah, it was kind of familiar to me. You know, there was something about that, the idea of this other world and, and going into it and playing these kind of this strange cast of quirky characters, this hidden layer of stuff was all very appealing. The fact that the, uh, world, is, the world is based on the London Underground as well. It was yeah. So that's the clever stuff, really, taking the names of the underground and then, you know, extrapolating them and actually making them uh, think about where they may have come from. Those, So that's all, it's all smart stuff, you know. I just, um, yeah, I, it, I mean, at this stage I was, it reminded me very much, like, in terms of the production values, you know, the, the bad, the, the last days of Doctor Who, it had that kind of cheapness to it that, that I really kind of wa- wanted to see a bit more something it seemed to demand more you know it was like such a great story that i just wanted to see it more kind of slick you know um and he obviously couldn't just couldn't do it it, it has its loyal fans even today uh, there's just oh, like a stage sure. production I'm coming out sure. there's I mean, various attempts to make a film yeah uh it's just a fantastic world you know i mean there's no doubt about it i mean Neil Gaiman's kind of creation is just enthralling and it's clever and smart and you know, it's 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 wonderful, and it, it it would be great to see it realize in in kind of beautiful kind of you know film that it deserves really. Well, before we before we leave the UK, like life like behind, and mostly because I want you to howl in anguish at the fact that that you know no Doctor Who, but the BBC had money to spend on Crime Traveller. Oh. Yeah, I've never heard of this thing. Let me, oh. ne- I, I, I find it hard to believe that that you you never heard of it. Just well, probably, unless I've, I've forgotten the name, and yeah, you've probably seen. blocked it out of your mind. Ian, do you remember Crime Traveller? I remember it uh, with horror. I mean, it, it had the problem with yeah. because, because Bugs is basically populated by ex soap stars. You've got the girl from the from the Bill, which is like a police yeah. soap opera, effectively. You've got cast members from a, an Australian soap opera. You've got the guy who came from El Dorado, which is a failed soap opera set in Spain, and you pile them together into a science fiction series about new technologies and their kind of bug testers or or investigators slash whatever the week requires them to be. Crime Traveller, the same thing. It had Michael French. In it, who was who was known from EastEnders as, as a central uh, guy, and he was a policeman, and he befriends 
uh, what I've her name now. She was the. I she think was, she was called Chloe Annette. Yeah, she was the second. And for she ten was a, minutes, she was in a lot of television series. Yes, she was. She was. She was the second Kachansky in Red Dwarf. Yes, and she's she was, built. Uh, she's built a time machine in her apartment, and the, the quirks of it is it can. Was send it not it. her father that built it, and her father got murdered? That could have been. They Dwarf, never right? thought that plot line up as far as I remember. But basically, it could send you back in time. And, but you had to get back to the time machine at the point at which you first went back Activated in time. Activated it. Otherwise, you'd be lost in time forever. And also, you couldn't change anything in the past. So a lot of it was just about going back to the crime that had happened earlier and seeing it from a different viewpoint and piecing it all together. And, um, yes. It any... does sound vaguely familiar, but... I think I... It was I, written by I, Anthony Horwitz, and um, it was anemic, as far as science fiction goes, and fairly anemic as far as crime drama goes. It was very creaky. And to be fair, I, I didn't mind it, but you certainly didn't watch it, you know, to get, wow, this is a fresh new take on some old material. Um, and I think I mostly sort of had an affection for it, because they filmed it in a part of London near where I went to university, so I would go, oh, I recognise that street. Oh, they're, 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 that, they're at that Italian restaurant over that part of the canal. Oh, like that. So, you know, that's that was totally, you know, just, oh, I recognise those locations where they're doing this stuff. So, you know, but it, yeah, it was just, I just find it amusing that they, they decided to dabble in the waters of genre television. And I think one of the things about it is that, you know, you are ready to leap into Star Trek. And there is a lot of Star Trek to talk about in this decade, obviously. The thing about it is that that in America you had things like, uh, for example, American Gothic, early edition, even Highlander the series, you know, and Tales from the Crypt, or Twin Peaks, in fact, although that was a bit strange, where they were like, well, we don't need loads of special effects in these movie, in these television series. Uh, early edition, in particular, was only about a man who received, like, what was it, tomorrow's newspaper today, and then oh, yes. did investigation that. stuff off, off the back of that. So, I mean, you know, there are quirky ideas that you can do with a kind of supernatural science fictional twist, and we just didn't bother. And Crime Traveller is one of the ways in which we didn't bother. Like, we did bother, but then what we did was we made it so... Un- there was no thought. It was just, oh, if you were a police detective and you could go back in time, a couple of days or whatever, uh, what would you do? And it's like, all the most boring answers to that question were needlessly picked over in the five or six episodes of Crime Traveller. So, yeah, that's, that's what it was all about. But, yes, let us, let us consider the ways of the Star Trek. For Star Trek, the next generation and its, its offshoots, in a way, I would say, really defined the mood of the 1990s as far as genre entertainment went for most of us because they were American, but this is what we got in the UK because we've, yeah. we've just been through all the UK stuff and there wasn't that much of it. It took a while for Next Generation to properly find its stride. The, the first two or three series is definitely an inferior version of Star Trek. And it, it largely survived because it was part of a sort of package deal for syndicating the classics Star Trek series. And that's how it got its, you know, 
bums on seats and, and recognition. But but it, it, when it did settle down and kind of get into its stride, it was a particularly entertaining series. I have very fond memories of Next Gen. But, and this is a recurring issue I, I had in the 90s of watching the genre entertainment, was that as soon as it was clear it was anyway slightly popular, it would be snatched up by Rupert Murdoch and put on one of his Sky yeah. television programs. And it would take years for it to le- leak through onto the network. Because this is before we had the cables laid, so we, all, we could all get digital television in our houses. So unless you're willing to pony up the money for a satellite dish, uh, good luck watching new episodes of The X-Files or what have you. So I would have friends come in and regale me with stories of how awesome Star, uh, Star Trek Next Generation was these days. Oh my god, the Klingon Empire is in a state of civil war and Picard is like the only guy that can bring peace there because he's the arbiter of succession. It's like, really? Yes, and the Romulans are involved in it too. My god, this is awesome. I can't wait to see it. Yeah, good luck two years from now. So... Um, <laughs> That's that's an abiding memory of of mine. Just what were you guys for next generation? It was a big thing though. I mean, it was really huge actually, and it did really change everything. Really, I mean, I remember the you know the avidly the watch the, the six o'clock slot on BBC Two. You know, that was a big thing. You it it suddenly was TV. What I mean, there I say there were some exceptions and various things that were going on, but. It suddenly was something me and my all my friends were into, you know. We were like watching it. I was just kind of eating it up. I'm like, I've never been a huge. Actually, I quite enjoyed the original series when they showed those. But it was just, yeah. I mean, we were all collectively kind of just, you know, all watching it, and we'd all watch it together. And people get various DVDs, and and it was it just it was just kind of grew and grew for a time, you know. It was just not, that that was it really. It was just all about Star Trek in the, in the various incarnations through the nineties. So yeah, it was it was kind of massive. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm uh, can't help but note that you've got a few things coming up. I mean, we started uh, 1989 was when the first episode of this was broadcast. Quantum Leap. Um, was, I really was, enjoyed was, Quantum Leap. I have yes. to say, and, and another example of uh, a television series that, although they did lavish some money on on it because they used they did a lot of period recreation and and licensed a lot of you know music and and what have you to make the episodes you know really pop you didn't really need to spend that amount of money on it you had one special effect uh, effect really that was what you had and you sort of clubbed that over the head really and and this was another example of such a show that you know in retrospect if if we'd had similar ideas going off in the UK, there's no reason we couldn't have done it. We just didn't. So you know that that there was that, and and then you know things started to creep in. I think that the flavour of television, it's very obvious, changed, uh, and I think that Star Trek is is uh, largely responsible for this. Later on, of course, we had uh, the big duke out between Babylon Five and Deep Space Nine. You know, well, it which, was. It was more of a fan duke out, I think, really. I yeah, mean, yeah, no, I mean, it, it wasn't really them. But I'm saying, you know, you had two space you might, station I mean, shows. You might think that Star Trek was influential, but really Babylon 5's legacy is enormous. Mm. Not in terms of sci-fi, but in terms of the very structure of TV shows. You know, there weren't story arcs. You know, things don't, you know, everything was very episodic, you know, and had always been that way. And... I wasn't I wasn't hugely into Babylon Five, but but I know one of my friends was. He was madly into it. But my God, I understood the significance of it because you know the fact is that you know every season was different. The story progressed. It wasn't you know like I know they did a certain amount in Star Trek, 
picked this up and they had some kind of things that affected the universe and the whole thing. But this was dramatic, you know. You, I mean, it, it, TV wasn't like that. It, now we're living in the... Then, you know, people started buying box sets. And so, therefore, rather than, you know, the episodic way of watching... You know, the, I mean, the, th- the key thing was it didn't matter what what series you came in on and Star Trek, you know, you can pretty much pick it up. You didn't need any backstory, whereas now people were buying these box sets and they were treating the makers were treating the audience in an intelligent fashion, going, you're going to watch all these together. Right. So you so you don't need to. So in other words, it's vital that you watch this stuff in the right order and remember it because we're going to do stuff to the story. It's going to change. And it was it was really fresh and exciting. Yeah, that that was happening to TV. I would say I wasn't huge watching it avidly, but I'm. But my, the, my friends were talking about it. I was like, "Yeah, this is really cool. I like it. It's a good departure from from how things have it, always seemed to be." If I may burble for a moment, uh, yeah. I, I once issued the following statement at some point, probably around ninety six ish, where I said, <clears throat> "Babylon Five is better than Doctor Who." Uh, that that is how much I was into Babylon Five. It, for the it was it was huge to me, and Doctor Who had been dead for years as well, so it was an easy statement to make at the time. I mean, it's very interesting because I I, I know lots of people who just didn't watch Babylon Five. All my friends generally did, but for them, their perspective when they talk about Babylon Five is they go, "Well, yes, I was aware it was on. It was it was another one of those series that, that was you know running at the same time Star Trek was. I was aware it was there. It was another also ran. But as for you know, it was like Andromeda was. You know, it was one of those yeah. other science fiction shows that when you turn it on and go, oh my goodness, are they still making that? And then they turn back over again. But so the but but they say the interesting thing about Babylon 5 is the fans really love it. You cannot deny this. That If you were inside that Babylon 5 bubble at the time, it was just crazy socks. It, it was awesome. The story, I mean, it, it, it was, you know, Game of Thrones in space. I'm throwing it out there now. It, the, the, the throws and changes of, of plot lines and characters and everything it was epic. It was Lords of the Rings. We meet Star Trek. You know, it was awesome. Um, and the parallel series of Deep Space Nine, which actually started before Next Gen finished, which is probably a good thing because the first few series of Deep Space Nine were decidedly ropey. They, of course, started to get into their epic storyline as well. And if you're a Star Trek fan, and if you're willing to go down the deep rabbit hole of, of, of Star Trek Deep Space Nine, I think it is probably a very, very rewarding thing for you to have done because it's kind of all your ultimately becomes your you know fanboy wet dream of you know there's this big invading or conquering empire spilling into the alpha quadrants and the federation the klingon the roblins all have to gang up together to go take him out in one big epic space war that stretches yeah. on for seasons star trek does a war series and you know they properly thoroughly explored that aspect of, of the star trek universe star trek war series Done. Don't need to do it again. Um, and yeah. I, th- I think it, that that had an arc, and that resolved itself satisfactorily, I suppose. Um, unlike Babylon Five, he said sneeringly. But uh, mm-hmm. yes, Leo, what's 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 your uh, opinions on all well, of that? I, I always got the impression that um, at the time, Deep Space Nine was kind of like some people who liked Star Trek were like, "Well, oh, I'm not sure about Deep Space Nine. Uh, it was never, and then I think Babylon Five was like, um, I think it was one of these things where the television networks themselves kind of, because it was different, and yet people were watching it, and it was different. They were like, oh, it's a freak. It's never going to happen again. You know, who can 
people, eh? They're crazy. And, yeah, that's the thing. They tried to sort of brush it off. And one of the things about it was as well that, um, I mean, the thing that obviously later on, which we're going to discuss in the the following uh, show, uh, companion piece to this of 90s television, that really redefined the, the game was Buffy. And the reason for that was because it had an arc, plus it was pretty cheap. It was Buffy was not an expensive show because it was like a high school and teenagers and yeah okay so occasionally they put some makeup on someone and they were a vampire and you had to have that vampire explodey effect but then uh, computer effects were coming down in price and many of them were quite ropey anyway uh, but Babylon Five obviously needed spaceships and all of this kind of stuff and so they yep. went. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, if, if we can't do all that, then you can't do the arc, can you? You know, you need all the expensive lights and the sets and the spaceships. And then Buffy came along and went, well, no, you don't. You can still have an arc. Look, there it is. Well, um, plus humour. I like to I, I, yep. say that Buffy almost certainly had a bigger budget than Babylon 5. Babylon 5 is a very low-budget series. It's quite painful to watch these days because it, it's just so clear to me now. But also, Buffy, Buffy ain't cheap. There's, there's, pros- there's lots, there's, there's a lot of prosthetics going on in, in, in Buffy as there was in Babylon 5, and, and also there's a lot of night shooting and location shooting Buffy, in Buffy. Buffy kind of sits with what was going on in the role-playing world at this time because you had lots of games based on vampires and kind of these things. And the one thing that these things did was they appealed to women, okay, in terms of role-playing. And the same thing could be said of Buffy, really, because, you know, Star Trek is quite a masculine, typically kind of geek, and Babylon 5, typically, you know, it's your core, you know, the, the audience that's appealing to is not traditionally one where, you know, obviously there are women who like these, who like Star Trek and stuff, but, you know, it's, it's mainly a more of a guy thing. And I think Buffy was mm. smart and it had different textures and different characters that were more appealing to a female audience. You know, I think we're talking, we're now talking about the birth of the kind of geek culture that we, yeah. we are now flourishing in now. Yeah. Whereas, it not only is geeky more acceptable, but it's more accessible to both sexes. But we, you know? we are not we are not here to talk about that today. No, that but, no, no, but show. we're talking about the, what where those seeds were sown, and I think Buffy yeah. has the place. Oh yeah, no, no, but we, we, we're going to have a whole show about that, so we're going to come yes, back to it because right. we, we can get into that in a really deep way. Because what yeah. we're talking about now is is pre that, and I mean, what's really weird about it is that. Um, as we're going back to Babylon 5 and Deep Space Nine, Star Trek kind of allowed, you know, people could pitch shows because they said, well, Star Trek's on, so we need other companion programming to that. Um, and, and somehow in the early 90s, you know, someone managed to convince a network to put on Twin Peaks. And then lots of stuff came out of that. Uh, American Gothic is a very interesting show of this period. It was one of these shows that was an early example of what has happened time and time again at this point. Um, and it happened, in fact, previous to this with um, Beauty and the Beast, the original Beauty and the Beast television series. Although the Beauty and the Beast one was very clear, which was like, ah, well, we, we want to kill Beauty and the Beast, said the network, because women love it. And who wants women watching television? Our advertisers don't want to advertise to women. Women don't have any money. And so they really <laughs> hated Beauty and the Beast and wanted to kill it. Um, and, and American Gothic was very similar in this regard. In yep. that the, the network took against it because it was humongously popular 
but they couldn't tell who with. And if you can't tell who with, you don't know who to sell the advertising space to. So they had to get rid of that too. So they started showing it at weird time slots and out of order uh, to try and put people off, which is, of course, something they've never done again, ever, not with loads of other shows. But yeah, American Gothic was one of the first that uh, that experienced. This. I did quite enjoy American Gothic, but I was reluctant to get into it because I just felt so thoroughly burned by Twin Peaks, and it felt like a a, a bit like another adventure like that. Uh, yeah, I think it's. I mean, you know, I've watched it subsequently, and it is a lot clearer than that. And mm. unlike Twin Peaks, at the end they kind of try to. They never really answer all the questions, but they kind of concluded it to a certain degree, uh, to some degree of satisfaction, given the hostile environment in which they were trying to make a television show. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it was, a lot, it was a lot less weird than Twin Peaks, but at the oh, same yes. time, just as weird. I mean, what's interesting about that is that American Gothic is, uh, you know, executive produced by Sam Raimi. I mean, you know, after all the Evil Dead movies... Sam Raimi kind of seemed to disappear for a bit, but he didn't because he was doing American Gothic, or at least, you know, he had a hand in developing that. And he also brought us to the screen Hercules, the Legendary Journeys, yeah. and Xena, Warrior Princess. And aren't we all better off for that? Xena was huge, perhaps with women again. Uh, it, it eclipsed Hercules as far as I was aware. I know I was never yes. to either series, but in the in the later days, Xena was the bigger show, um, and, and I think it's because well, I don't know. Do we have to be honest here and say Kevin Sorbo really? You know when has he? You know at what point has he been a a charismatic focus for any project? I, I've already really known him from Hercules' legendary journey. He occasionally turns up every so often in something else, and you go, oh, it's well, that guy from Hercules. He was the captain of the Andromeda as well. Yes, he was. Yeah, he's but, kind of there, isn't he? He's well, a, that's kind of there. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a nice enough chap and amiable, and he, he it's not like he's he's not grindingly painful to watch, but <laughs> there's nothing particularly... Oh, I must watch that new Kevin Sorbo show. I really enjoy his performances. Said nobody ever. Although, uh, one thing I think we discussed at the time, Leo, of course, Warriors in a Princess had that whole kind of soporific subtext, apparently, that Gabrielle and Zeno were really hot for each other in a not-just-friends kind of way. And, you know, as, as you point out to me at the time, Leo, you know... It, there is no way they'd draw the same implication with Hercules and his mate, would they? There was some sort of homoerotic bonding going on, even though that would probably be more in line with the classical literature of the time uh, regarding... I've got... I've got and, you know, I mean, I think the reason that, that people didn't draw that line has more to do with the fact... I think if Supernatural has taught us anything, it is that if women aren't interested in thinking about you know, two men getting up to stuff, then they won't. But even if you've made a show in which those two men that you're interested in are brothers, that's not going to stop anyone, as Supernatural <laughs> referred to itself within episodes which it, it had. You see, you know, they don't, you know, that's the point. The, the reason that people never said that about Hercules is because nobody cared. Yes, but yeah. if they had cared, then they would have said it. Nobody Whereas fancies Zina, Everybody cared. 
if Hercules um, looked like a male underwear model, they would have been fine. Well, and, but the thing about it is, he didn't look unlike a male underwear model. It's just he was a bit too much Kevin Zorbo, unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, yeah, uh, but your, the, you wanted your fantasy hit. You know, there wasn't there was precious little else going on. But I mean, well, the, well, the weird thing about that is, I'd say, I mean, yes, okay, so we live in the era of Game of Thrones, but. Prior to Hercules and Xena, what if you wanted to watch a bit of camp fantasy? Where would you go? And after Xena was finished, where would you go? They, they tried. They, were... they tried. There was a, there was a, an, an Aladdin series that came out afterwards. There was a, a Robin Hood series. They had a bash at that as well. Legend of the Seeker was about, which we'll get to eventually when that comes up. Yeah, so they've tried, but nothing has ever been as big. So you know, I mean, and but the problem is, all of these shows have fans. Or was it Beastmaster the series? Was that before or after? I've no goddamn idea. That sounds that sounds like late eighties, doesn't it? I don't know. I mean the number of the number of films that get turned into television series. Well is, War of the World is what you want to talk about there for the nineties. My goodness, what a spectacular science fiction series that was. A sequel to the classic nineteen fifties science fiction film. No, it was dreadful. Don't watch it. Did you ever yes, see that? I, I've heard. Well, they show it round around the horror channel here, and I, I, I hadn't watched it. But what I had heard is that one of the things about that that's uh, a bit crazy is that they did this huge like arc in the first season, leading up to a big cliffhanger ending, and then some jiggery pokery went on behind the scenes, and when they came back. They'd completely changed everything about the series, and they yes. did a, a whole other season, which was completely different and set in a sort of Blade Runner esque future. I mean, the other thing about it as well is that you know, come the beginning of the series, no one believes in aliens, and it's like, hang on, wasn't there like a, an invasion from Mars in like the nineteen fifties? And apparently, everyone had just forgotten about it for some unexplained reason. Uh, and as what? Uh, yeah, and the producers, when quizzed on this, was oh, it's science fiction. There are no rules, um, which, which you know, people were somewhat scathing about. Um, yeah, dire. Just ugh. Um, okay, while we while we were on the subject though of 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 various uh, large properties, and you were talking earlier about um, Star Trek and its and its rip-offs, or the fact that that was very big. You know, we had Babylon 5, which wasn't really a rip-off as much as... It wasn't the story well, they, that J. Michael Straczynski went to the people who eventually made Deep Space Nine. Babylon 5 to everyone. I mean, you say there was lots of Star Trek spin-offs. The, the, the network feeling was there's only space in the in the genre of Star Trek. That's the only thing that works. Uh, but he had a hell of a time pitching Babylon 5. He showed this to everyone. With the, with the Sequest DSV, you see, that's where I was leading with. Well, this. I was going to say he showed the script to Paramount, and then they they rejected it, and then later on Paramount made a uh, Deep Space Nine, and there was a bit like, oh, this is a bit similar to Babylon Five. They've got a big wormhole, aliens come through right next to the space station. There's, you know, you've got the Narns and Tie in Babylon Five. You've got the Bajorans and the and the um, uh, Spoonheads in Deep Space Nine. You know, there was there was a lot of parallels. You know, mysterious aliens as well, prophecies, a lot of similarities. But anyway, yes, you were saying. Yes, Sequest DSV. That was uh, the undersea ripoff of, of of Star Trek and uh, homage backwards, looking to um, 
What was it called? Voyage the, to the, the bottom vo- of the sea. The voyage to the bottom of Forget the sea. Everyone, the submarine's being attacked. Everyone fall over one side of the set. Now fall over the other side of the set. I never really took it very seriously. I think as well. I think now I seem to remember it was on ITV. It was on maybe yes. on a on a, a, a weekend day. It was in no way, something. shape, or form picked up by Sky. This tells you everything you need to know about uh, Sequest. It was, it was very, very obviously a clone, and it kind of lacked any credibility. That you know, as you're watching other things, there were you know some serious ideas going on with Star Trek. And this didn't see. This was just basically, essentially, you know, people in a submarine with a talking dolphin or whatever. Yes, it was it, just. It was such a clone of Next Generation. They even cloned a Wesley for the series as well. That's the shocking. Yeah. And and a rather a kind of a a rather um, uh, rejuvenated, strange looking. Uh, um, uh, what's his face? You know the uh, going the to main, need the a main bigger boat. Roy Schneider. Yes. Um, you know, who clearly had a lot of strange plastic surgery done, and he was—he lo- just looked odd. The whole thing just just kind of didn't hang together at all. It was a Spielberg was very... series as well, wasn't it? Was it really? Yeah. I just the, the effects were a bit dodgy. It was computer effects. You know, that all looked a bit basically. They 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 hid a lot of the effects by just going, well, it's a bit you know misty underwater and stuff. So there we go. You just see shadows and weird things flying by and. I, you know, it just kind of looked rubbish then. I remember, you know, it to me it was a kind of a natural. Whereas Star Trek, all these kind of things, I say they had smart writing, and this was a throwback to the kind of eighties TV shows, where it's just like, you know, well, you know, it doesn't matter about the plot too much. That's, you know, I mean, to be honest, for me, it had more more akin to things like Airwolf and and a Night Rider than it did. To Star Trek, I, you know. I think it started out as a next generation clone underwater. Yeah, uh, but it, they, they certainly because it's one of those series that go, oh, have, have, are they still making that? Um, yeah. Because they did try to shake up the format every so often. Uh, the third series, they introduced like a, a subspecies, not a subspecies, another species of humans that have been genetically engineered. Um, uh, and in the, the fourth series, it was 10 years in the future. And they, they kind of kicked Schneider aside and replaced him with Michael Ironside as the lead character of the series. Right. Um, and that was much more of a war setting uh, version of the series. But yeah, the, four years of Sequest. How do we get four years of Sequest? God knows. Um, and uh, I mean, I mean, we're into this. We're into the curio uh, section of the show now. So, and you were talking about uh, Justin about uh, uh, covering up ropey special effects with misty water. Yeah. Well, if we were talking about covering up for the fact that you can't do a special effect, surely a special award has to go to Lois and Clark: The New Adventures of <laughs> Superman, in which Dean Cain would once again walk to the edge of the shot and jump. And then it'd go a few minutes later and you'd see him like land on his feet as if he'd just been, I don't know, flying or something and then walk back into shot at another place. But you have to put these things in context, okay? Because I remember watching this and again, a bit like, you know, you were, there was a drought for anything fantasy and therefore you turn to uh, Hercules, etc. You know, in terms of superhero stuff, you know, this is before we, you know, the what wonderful gold, the, the age we live in now. This, there wasn't anything on TV that was remotely superhero stuff. So actually, this was even though you know it is, uh, you know, uh, basically, it's famously it was it was known as uh, Lois and Clark in America, and 
New Adventures of Superman, I believe, here, wasn't it? Or uh, later on, in the later seasons, they put Lois and Clark on the beginning of... Yeah, but Matt certainly Russell. for the States, you know, it was always meant to be, you know, Lois and Clark, and they happened to, he happened to be Superman. It was always very much kind of... It was, it was, it was um, comic geekery, but for people who probably weren't that into comics... You know, because they would have played fast and loose with you know the DC universe. I'm I'm pretty certain of it. Um, so I barely touched it as far as I'm aware. Diehard DC fans would not be watching you know it, uh, but for for general kind of family entertainment, I thought it was all right. Well, you know, the, the Superman has been generally been our whipping boy around here, and we always we always double down on what a, what a, what a bad concept it is to have this utterly indestructible superhero, um, and what how problematic that is. I think Lois and Clark's solution of of like he's not Superman, he is Clark Kent. Clark Kent is who he is. Superman is his other identity. Who he yeah. is be that that was interesting, a humanizing of, of Superman to an, to an earthly level. Well, I think it was, yeah, I mean, one of the things that I found interesting about that whole thing is that to the, from before that show and after, I'm like, I really don't, you know, like I said, we, I don't like Superman. I think Superman's a dumb idea. Yeah. But for that series, I at one point I was really into it because yeah. for some reason they were doing something that made it less Superman. I mean, I don't know what it was because I've never seen it since. Terry Hatcher, but... probably. Terry Hatcher, I, I think he was. I thought Dean Kane was likable. You know, the thing is, I don't like about Superman is the fact that both the both incarnations of him are are not. You've either got this kind of un- iconic, ridiculous cat. Oh, large life person who's awesome or you've got or you've got this bumbling idiot and he was just you know a charismatic kind of actor at his time and you know romantically or something with Terry Hatcher and it was it was just quite pleasant it was kind of friends like in that way kind of fairly safe you know just and the fact that occasionally you get a bit of silly comic book stuff going on as well it was refreshing that Clark Kent was not an idiot that that was definitely yeah, yeah. an innovation you know um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I fondly remember it in a way. I mean, I, I remember watching it. I'm sure if I watched it now, I'd just be like, what the hell was I smoking? Yeah, sure. But, uh, yeah, at the time, I think I enjoyed it. Unlike um, Highlander the series. Not to say I didn't enjoy Highlander the series or thought it was rubbish or anything, but I've never seen it. I knew it was there, but it, it seemed like one of those things where... Unless you were prepared, I felt, you know, unless you were going to watch it every week, what were you going to do? You know, how were you going to watch it? And it was it was another series that, that sort of drifted past on the schedules where in the UK they really didn't do it any favours. It wasn't a regular thing or you couldn't rely on getting your fix of Highlander the series. And, and you know, I mean, this is what this is one of the things that the Internet and time shifting and all of this kind of stuff has really done for the international market for television is that I used to, when I was younger, not watch television shows because I'd be like, no, I'm never going to watch enough of that to get into it. So I'll I'll just not watch it at all. Um, whereas now you'd kind of feel less like that because you're like, well, I'll be able to find it somewhere if I watch a bit and go, oh, this is really good. So, yeah, that was one of those. It was like, I never really watched... Did either of you watch Highlander, ever? I've watched, uh, I've watched some of it. 
Uh, I mean, I think if you're going to do an adaptation of the Highlander concept, it's as, it's as pretty much as good as you're going to get without diverting heavily from um, the concept in the original film. Uh, I, they they do expand the universe. They meditate on what uh, you know immortals are and how the rules work. You know, if an immortal gets his arm cut off, can he have it reattached? How does it work? You know, they went went down all that road. <clears throat> But uh, ultimately, I don't know, because it, it, it petered out eventually. It was one of those series that went on for far longer than people thought it was ever going to go for. And they, and they started wrapping things up with, with uh, some TV movies, and they were dreadful. And in the end, I think it's just ended up peeing all over the, the Highlander franchise all over again, in, in the same way too did, but in a much more different kind of, oh, this is rubbish kind of way. But it's very interesting that uh, it... it, it you can see, of course, is that Highlander was not the end of the game. That was just, well done, killing the Kurgan. There's lots of other immortals still in the world. And the fight goes on. And so, inevitably, the TV, in, a, in one of the TV movies called Endgame, uh, we actually have the two Connors come back together again, the Connor from the TV series, Connor from the movies. <clears throat> and that TV series Connor kills the movie Connor. He kills Christopher Lambert off. Right. There's McLeods, Stu yes. McLeods, Connor McLeod and Duncan McLeod. That's right. Not Connors. Not Connors, yes. Um, yeah. Also, yes. It's, it's very interesting. A, 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 a premise about decapitating people can't show people being decapitated. Endgame is, um, is famous for the fact that, as a TV movie, uh, they had a bit of money left in the budget and a few days of filming spare. So what the director decided to do with that time was to film all this crazy stuff that they put in the trailer, and it's not in the it's not in the TV movie. Right. And when questioned about this, and the thing is, like the concepts that this guy made up the t- the advert when oh we could put a shot in here where this happens, like sort of time portals and people jumping through special effects and all this crazy stuff, and when they said. Well, None of that's in the show. He told them, well, we just did it for the trailer. And, like, is that not a little bit dishonest that you're promising plot points or yeah. huge diversions? And it was like, well, you know, who cares, really? It's like, so, yeah, apparently the trailer for Highlander Endgame makes it look like it's going to be a lot more interesting uh, than it ends sorry. up being. If you can't scrape together, like, you know, enough material to make a minute worth of exciting looking stuff happening, it's probably not a very good TV movie. Uh, well, it wasn't that. No, no, they had the trailer, but he had time uh, with the actors and the budget and stuff. And so he's like, mm, this trailer, you know, it makes the film look like what it's going to be. We want to make it people actually watch it. So let's put on all this stuff that's never going to be in the film. And that's what they did. And people were quite angry about that, which you could probably understand. Uh, we never had to be inflicted with that, obviously, because we're not Americans, and we just got it afterwards. But yeah, that's that's what happened. Um, so yeah, we've been through most of the early part of the uh, thing um, of the nineties now. There's only one thing that's uh, significantly left on the slate to, to chew over, really, and that's the X Files. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, it's big. It's pretty big, wasn't it? The X Files. It, it was pretty big. Uh, and I remember watching it at the beginning. The first time I remember watching the episode, there's a bit where he goes into a Mulder goes into a train car at the end and finds like a pickled alien in a jar or something. And and I watched that episode, and then you know the the, ooh, the smoking man, and they keep coming back to it. 
And that's where I was like, I said at that point, they're never going to answer any of this stuff. And I kind of walked away, really. I was never really big into the X-Files from that point on. Um, This is my early experience. I mean, I've just realised, you know, my early experience of any television show that promised that there were questions and mysteries that were going to be resolved or answered later, that it never would, that it was always just people making stuff up, that they had no idea what was going on. And this is how how jaded I became so early in my life, that the minute that the television series kind of went... And, you know, there's something bigger happening. You went, yeah, there isn't. You're just making stuff up. And the X-Files didn't disappoint me in that regard. It took me a few years. I mean, I said this before, it took me a few years, but then I just clicked. and like, this is going nowhere. If you've got new answers by the time you get to Series 4, the Series 4 hasn't really developed since then. You've already done this bump off the periphery characters to give Maul and Scully motivation of the week to be pissed off at somebody. Then, ugh. But it, it did inoculate me. It was like a vaccine. So I was completely immune to Lost when it came along. <laughs> yes, sparing I, me the misery. I watched three episodes of Lost before I was like, yeah, not watching this. Or at least, I mean, like, maybe I could be wrong. It could be wonderful in the end. I'll wait till it's finished and then come back. And I'm, I'm still interested to watch it from a sort of museum piece point of view at this point. Because... Oh, God love them. They tried to do something. Apparently, it's just a god-awful mess. But, you know, so I might sit down and watch it. But if you, I think I'll probably find it better than I would otherwise if I sit down and watch Lost fully in the knowledge that the end is just going to be a little bit shapeless, really. Um, and I can sit there and enjoy all the twists and turns, knowing that it's a road to nowhere. But, yeah, um, I would never sit down and watch anything that I actually cared about in that, that vein. And, uh, yeah, the X-Files... The X-Files never really got away, as far as I know, never really got away from, you know... There was a plot, but then whenever it went into Monster of the Week territory, it was like, yep, yeah, let's do that now, and let's embrace it. They never kind of... Other shows allowed bits of the overall arc to leak into those Monster of the Week episodes. Whereas when the X-Files just did a one-off, they pretty much committed to it wholeheartedly. Yeah, I mean, I think there was some... uh, I I rather... Yeah, obviously you've got the two strands, really. You've got this kind of... uh, uh, The conspiracy uh, and then then the Monster of the Week. And I I rather enjoyed the Monster of the Week, I must admit. I rather like the... the, uh, and there was just, you know, you got a lot of flexibility there. You got some really strange stuff, um, and some were obviously better than others. But um, it was just inventive, you know, and it was just kind of fun to watch. And I didn't really care for the uh, conspiracy stuff. And I agree. After a while, it kind of went on. Then you just kind of realised they were just doing stuff for the sake of it, and you know, uh, it it. it it was never, like you say, it was never really going to win. There was always another shadowy thing, and it just, I, 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 I never, I kind of got bored of that really, um, and drifted off towards towards the end. Uh, but I think that it was just that one of those things everyone was talking about. You know, it was kind of a, had a huge impact, and people were generally kind of just intrigued about all these kind of strange, quirky things that were coming up. And, you know, it's, 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 it's had a massive impact on, on TV. Um, I, I think it's certainly for that sort of paranormal 
esque stuff. It, it was it was massive. I mean, the, the, there was like magazines coming out about the supernatural that you could collect and put in binders about all the stuff that in the X Files: aliens, ghosts, werewolves, government conspiracies. It was kind of tying, you know, the idea of that kind of not urban fantasy, but certainly that that kind of idea of bringing in all those urban myths. Forty and times the series, you know. Yeah, just just bringing it all together, really. I mean, that it kind of had a coherence to it. You know that you all, we've all heard of all these kind of creepy tales and campfire type tales, and obviously alien abductions and stuff. But it was actually forming. You know, um, I think the big thing, the big thing that uh, X Files served, the big purpose it served, from particularly from a network television point of view, was that it was a lightning rod for the fallout from Twin Peaks. I mean, after Twin Peaks started, and for the few years after that. Every ten minutes, there'd be some quirky show on, and people would invoke Twin Peaks. And X Files put that to bed because yeah. it was like the X Files at the beginning was like, "Oh yeah, this is another weird show," and then it became its own thing, which eventually became a hideous, shambling mess and shadow of its former stuff. But it had uh, at least two spin-offs. One yes. spin-off, two spin-offs, two, two spin-offs, two spin-offs. One was The Lone Gunman, which I greatly enjoyed, and we'll talk about it another time. What was the other spin-off? Millennium. Was Millennium an X-Files spin-off? Believe it or not. Wow. Oh, I didn't greatly enjoy that. That was awful. Uh, Millennium uh, was fairly <laughs> awful, and, you know, it's all, it was all the... I mean, it's, it's late 90s, but I'll just, just round it off here by going... It got cancelled before the Millennium happened. So, obviously, they had to have a, a, a crossover in X-Files where Lance Hendrickson turns up and it's, and it's, and it's the millennium date. They go, oh, we're going to get resolution to the TV series now. Oh, this is great. No, no, nothing whatsoever of any interest happens whatsoever. I remember there was a crazy rumor that flew about when X-Files was, was young perhaps sometime in the second season, that they were like, oh, they're in talks with David Lynch to wrap up Twin Peaks in the X-Files. What? I don't know if they're going to wrap it up, but they were going to do um, a crossover because famously David Coveney was in uh, Twin Peaks as, you know, uh, he was, uh, oh, he was like a trans agent, wasn't he? He was, uh, and they were going to say that he was, that was Mulder, but he was undercover for some reason. Uh, but I think they pulled out because the secret got out, and so David Lynch was like, oh, no, people know about it now. I don't want to do it. All right, okay. But you expressed well, disappointment about it at the time. But um... Well, I think anyone who was still you know, drinking the Twin Peaks Kool-Aid uh, was just like, come on, man, what was all that stuff about? Yes, but like he was going to resolve anything if he actually did an X-Files crossover. Well, you know, we know better now, don't we? Uh, you know... There we go. And I think that, that kind of vague, meandering, no promise of a resolution place is the place to end this part of our journey through 90s television. And uh, you know, this sort of epic journey through this bizarre maze of, of 90s television will continue in a second season at some point. But will it have a satisfying conclusion? Television would suggest that it did not. Uh, if you wish to rant and rail against the premature cancellation of Revenge of the 80s Kids, 
Uh, where might they go to do that? Where might people go to do that, Ian? Well, one place you can go to lobby for Revenge of the 80s Kids film would be our Facebook page, which you can find on Facebook forward slash Revenge of the 80s Kids. And that's 80s as in numbers, so 80s. Uh, please go there and like our page. It is our community hub. We put up links to our podcast there, as well as links we find interesting. Uh, but podcasts are what it's all about. And for those who want to point your web browser towards 80s Kids, and that's 80s as in letters, so E-I-G-H-T-I-E-S kids.podomat.com, uh, please go there and subscribe to our podcast using the podcast aggregator of your choice or download your PC for dark conspiratorial reasons of your own. Uh, but this is only where our most recent podcasts can be found. The legacy of our podcast podcasts can be found on uh leostableford.com where you can also find other stuff that i've been doing involved with in the present and in the past in a sort of quantum leapy way uh you can skip around the days of my life out of order although actually many of them are pretty similar so it won't be that interesting for you to do that uh but yes you'll certainly find the legacy of our shows on there as well so that's an archive worth plumbing through if you want to bring yourself up to the present day uh to our, our our premature cancellation because the network ran out of money for us uh if you wish to uh cry and and, and maybe regard images uh to go with your crying where might they go to do that justin <laughs> consult yourself on my deviant art page uh, which, trust me, looks a lot more interesting than bugs, which are often remember just things to be filmed around uh, around uh, empty office buildings with in the Docklands, of, indeed, Docklands with occasional bits of poor special effects. There's, a, there's, yeah, hopefully, there's something a little bit more entertaining visually to 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 feast your eyes upon with my collection of uh, various assortment of artworks and stuff under my under my name, Justin Wyatt. Uh, so there we go, and uh, just like Twin Peaks at this stage. Uh, we shall end with an enigmatic ending where I'm staring into a window and then our uh, window, a mirror, and then I'll bash my head into it and ask, Where is Annie? Where is Annie? And you won't know what the hell it means. So, from me, well, good night. And I, I shall resolve by, in, in the uh, quantum leap fashion of pondering why it is we keep leaping back and forth around time, only to discover it is, in fact, God. Uh, and so there we are. Last episode of Revelation. And, uh, and, and I have only one thing to say. We'll stop the fans, please! <laughs> Very good. Very good. Uh, I didn't even talk about Space Precinct. Clearly, at some point, uh, the creators of Thunderbird, uh, Jerry Anderson, obviously thought, well, you know, I've been doing all this bloody puppet stuff all my life. He always wanted to do film, proper film with actors. So here was his chance. Someone said, OK, we will make a thing. You can have actual actors in it. Some cast offs from from American soap operas, that are, you know, has bins and various strange collection of people. And uh, and then we'll combine it with clearly state of the art creatures and aliens and everything else. And what you get is pretty lousy, I have to say pretty bad the one thing i do remember is that the idea of jerry anderson doing a live action show at last was much louder before it happened and then it was a terrible crashing failure and an awful thing yeah and it was so bad the stink of this thing was so bad that when farscape was new 
I just was like, I'm not watching that. Muppets in Space. Yes. Yeah. That was right as well. It flashed yeah. back to space. But Jerry Anderson, uh, he'd already done live action television series. What about UFO? What about Space 1999? Those were Jerry Anderson. That's true. That's true. Yes. Um, and they were shit and, too. Uh, Look brilliant. <laughs> but they were good. He can't write for Toffee. This concludes our, our retrospective of Jerry Anderson live action shows. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Farewell. Farewell.